This is the Becoming Man podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Melke, here with co-host Marshall McElhaney. Integrating our knowledge and experience as family therapists, husbands, fathers, and men, we explore a wide range of topics from a masculine perspective, including mental health, relationships, fatherhood, and meaning-making in today's ever-evolving world. Thank you for listening, and welcome to the show. Howdy, Anthony. It's podcast day. It is podcast day. It's a special podcast day because it's our first episode um, with an intro song. Woo! <laughs> what? <laughs> that's, your, that's your woo for the month. We. <laughs> I can't believe you did that. We've had a debate. Marshall wants to do... Lots of weird noises. <sighs> you okay? We'll leave the woo. The car got deleted. Okay. The woo stays. The woo stays. Oh <laughs> I believe in the multiplicity of self, Anthony. <laughs> let, let my parts show. Okay. <laughs> we have an intro. I'm excited. Me too. It's wonderful. Shout out, Robert. Uh, Thank you, Robert. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how to, like, properly credit him as far as, like, copyright goes, so. Yeah. To be announced officially, but thank you, Robert. We love this song. When we listened to it together for the first time, uh, what was it, Monday? I think so. Yeah, we were, we were dancing in the office. Marshall was dancing in the office. I wish I would have wooed then. I was spinning in my chair. But. Okay. (laughs) (sighs) So. Do I need to get you back on track? Howdy, Anthony. No, no, I'm good. We're here. I'm good. Here we go. See, here's here's one of the reasons I had a hard time taking in the woo. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I had something serious on my mind today. Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise. Uh, got some serious that I'm thinking about. Um, but we've been we've been talking about this origins identity legacy piece. We've been weaving it all together. Um, we hope to have guests on where we can ask questions about all of those topics. But I think if we were focusing on something in particular, it would be origins. Mm-hmm. Sort of, um, yeah. Where did we come from? Yeah. What's the, what's the culture? What's the history? What's the status of masculinity, men in the United States, etc. I wanted to spend a little time with identity today. Cool. Um, our identity. Um, and there's there's been a lot in my world that has me thinking about this question. Um, for the last decade but 
recently again. Um, and I was kind of struggling with, as you know, I was sitting here staring at my computer right before we started recording. Right. Struggling with how do we, what are we going to do today? Um, and so I, do you remember that kind of like stream of consciousness thing I typed up at the beginning of the, of the, yes. um, podcast where I was just sort of like talking yep. about the vision and stuff. I read that quick and I pulled a quote that I think kind of captures a lot of what I've been thinking about lately. Um, and I want to use it as a launching pad for, to talk today. So here's, here's the quote. And just for the listeners, I, uh, as I mentioned before we started this, Marshall was asking me what I was thinking about. I couldn't put it into words. And so I, um, wrote it, I think probably too late at night, uh, most likely. Um, I believe I called it your manifesto at one point. Yeah, it's not a manifesto. I know you know that, but I'm just clarifying for the <laughs> yes. for, for future generations. I am not writing a manifesto. And if something terrible happens and I become a cult leader, play this back to me to remind me. Blame the woo. <laughs> Blame the woo. Uh, yep, that was the problem. Anyway, uh, here's what I wrote, or yeah. one of the things that I wrote that I wanted to make, spend some time in or, or use as an entry point today. Okay. Um, I'm troubled by looking at so many men in my life and seeing them sad, angry, bitter, isolated, or ignorant. One of my greatest fears in life is that I will be so blind to myself and my impact on others that I won't recognize this type of behavior in myself. How did all these men get here? What went wrong? Is there another way to be in the world? I, I Like I said, I think about this often. I think about some of the ideas, um, e- even in the, just that little blurb from the journal that I was writing to try to get this, get this going. I, I think about that often. I, um, I'm always baffled by uh, what I observe as people's lack of self-awareness and then equally terrified that I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> that I have the same lack of awareness about how I think and feel and impact the people around me. Right. Um, and when I think about this and I think about the people I observe, I observe doing this um, and probably the times that I do it myself two things happen for me the first one is that I immediately think um, okay but this isn't all men and then then this voice comes up in my head mm, probably shouldn't even talk about it because Maybe it's just my perspective. Maybe it's just because I'm seeing what I want to see and I want to make a problem. Or, mm. um, maybe I just need to chill out. You know, whatever. Is there fear of rejection too? Oh, of course. And and like you put out you put out this idea in the world, like, hey, I don't, I don't know if a lot of us are okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's the fear of rejection or being talked into that we're okay. And depending on the context, I'm much more vulnerable to that. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, when I'm doing therapy, not really. When mm-hmm. I'm teaching, not really. But when those uh, when those professional worlds are gone, 
much more vulnerable to that. Like, okay, yeah, never mind. I'm making this up. I'm just mm-hmm. too sensitive, too, too, uh, too concerned, too worried, too unhappy, something like that. You know, mm-hmm. too something, too much. Um, totally. And then it's yeah, it, it's like, well, Anthony, I think you need to calm down. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, I got told take it easy all the time. Mm. Take it easy. Take it easy. Take it easy. Now, to be fair, I broke lots of things. <laughs> <laughs> I broke glasses, like as in cups, plates. Yeah. Um, knocked into walls, ran into people. Um, I broke several of my friends' noses on accident in college and in high school. Uh, playing basketball pick up football yeah <laughs> so and it was passionate so take it easy maybe was appropriate in some sense but I hated but that. internalized differently oh absolutely yeah internalized differently it was very much a uh, calm down yeah chill yeah it doesn't matter actually that's how I internalized it now I don't know you know as parents we we say things and we have no idea the impact of the right. things that we say on our kids. But I got that message enough yeah. Um, that, uh, yeah, that that I became very sensitive to to passion, um, you know, and excitement. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so the second thing that happens for me when I read this quote, and then I'd love to hear some of your thoughts, even just on this. Um, the second thing that happens to me when I when I think about this experience, think about what would have motivated me to write that, um, is just like this deep, deep hunger for this not to be the case. Mm. Um, we could probably I could probably tell lots and lots of stories about why that is, but so much of what so much pain in my perspective comes. Um, from a lack of awareness and a lack of willingness to step into awareness from people. Mm -hmm. And so much healing comes when people open up and connect and are honest. Um, And I almost, I almost feel like somebody who is, uh, you know, if a bunch of people are trying to knock down a wall or something like that, I almost feel like somebody who's standing at a door to that very wall just about 20 yards away saying, hey, 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 actually, door, there's a door here. (laughs) You don't have to break down the wall. Come into the door and it's really nice on the other side. Um, uh, I feel like that, you know? Um, So this this tension between dismissing this fear or concern or this passion of mine to, to help and then also feeling so passionate about about it, it it's, yeah. it's very difficult um what do you think just initial thoughts on, on the well, thing first I read. first of all my childhood was exactly the same mm. I, I was actually back home for easter <clears throat> last weekend and um uh both of my girls have a little bit of a little bit of me in them surprisingly mm-hmm. where they're loud and energetic and mm-hmm. wooing <laughs> And my aunt was there. She's like, do you remember when you were like this? And I was like, nope, but you guys, everyone told me about it a lot. Mm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Marshall was a lot. 
Martial was a lot. Mm. Um, I don't think I ever lost that for a while, but it mm. definitely had an internalized meaning for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but to kind of piggyback off of, of your journal mm-hmm. and thoughts and your, your um, statements a second ago, I just want to speak from that, that place of healing here for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm, I'm always so... Um, captivated and encouraged when I work with males who, you know, butt up against that. And then Mm -hmm. as we start to dive into this stuff, you know, the people around them start to see a different side of them and understand Mm -hmm. a whole different aspect of, of why they do the things they do or what they're doing and, and not even realizing, like you're saying in your original reading that Mm -hmm. the way they were blind to certain things and how people responded, Mm -hmm. um, and how it was received and you know as we go through this process of therapy and, and healing those things can start to change pretty drastically and just to watch people go through that process and uh i don't know, make a transformation uh mm-hmm. it's always really special mm-hmm. yeah are you aware of for your own change processes or or like um i don't know growing as a person um, some of the barriers that came up for you um, throughout the process? 100%. What What do you got? I was going to save this story for Marshall's origin episode, but we'll, we'll break it out now. <laughs> um, one of the biggest ones for me happened pretty early on out, out of college. I don't know, I was 23 maybe. Mm-hmm. And as I've mentioned before, I worked for a uh, residential treatment facility for delinquent use people from all over the country. And I had very, um, I had very Iowa, like farm boy, pick yourself up by the bootstrap mentality about health, wellness, change, Mm -hmm. right and wrong, good and bad, like very concrete views of this is the only way to live life and everything Mm -hmm. else is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. Whether that was, you know, uh, drugs, violence, Mm -hmm. anything like you should be able to figure it out and pick yourself up. Um, but as I started to meet people from different walks of life and hear their stories and see how they experienced the world and experienced me in their world, Mm -hmm. it became abundantly clear that that was going to be a big barrier for me, um, that I kind of had to widen the lens and do some, do some soul searching, um, into where those beliefs came from, you know were they mine? Mm-hmm. Um, why, what happened? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, cause we can, when we experience something, some new information or new people yeah, or a new perspective, we sort of have getting back to this like crisis of consent or something that we talked about. We can choose to accept it and, and sort of rise to that challenge and, um, uh, examine ourselves and our worlds to, to see if, if there's an area to grow mm-hmm. or we can just walk away. Yeah. Um, so what, what, what was it that, that shook you and what, what do you think it was that yeah. sort of like took you into that change process rather than walking away instead? It was kind of a fork in the road for, for, I don't want to say professionally because I was, I was a young punk, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was a fork in the road for helping the people that I was supposed to be doing a job for. Right? Mm-hmm. Like we're there to teach behavioral skills and create change and, you know, help young men change their lives. And, Mm -hmm. um, I had to, 
I had to either um, adapt and become more open mm-hmm. and soften in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, be more accepting is probably a better way of putting it. To help them um, or continue perpetuating the cycle of just, I don't know, creating a fake it till you make it scenario that mm-hmm. wasn't going to be real. Um, it would for help who, who was for the really? client, okay. for, for the specifically this one kid I was working with, um, okay. who really changed my views in all this okay. and really opened it up. Um, I mean, do you want me to tell you a whole story? Well, I don't know. That do, I can. Do you want to tell what you can? Yeah. I can't say confidential No, stuff. no, this is, this is okay. Um, some of it I'll, I will change, but I've, I've talked to him about this already. Yeah numerous times um or with the kid who who did some pretty violent things we'll just say that mm-hmm. and was uh he wasn't going to see his family for a long time mm-hmm. regardless he just couldn't and i had to start to question if i would have done the same thing if i was in his shoes or not mm-hmm. and walking into it i said well of course not i wouldn't have done these you know violent acts mm-hmm. um but the more I got to know him and know his story, his upbringing, his experience um, as the oldest child with, you know, taking care of his family by the age of eight and escalating that in a gang life um, to where he found community and he found safety and he was able to provide for his family. And he was doing things out of, I mean, some people will call it loyalty, which there's an aspect of that, but it really was out of, out of a sense of this is how he understood, saw, and experienced the world. Mm-hmm through family um i don't know if i would have done it differently like i i just don't i I can't i can't say i i wouldn't have from my own experience right like i grew up in an entirely different world with an entirely different circumstance um so to to like listen to him tell his story and really start to empathize with it and connect with him at a very deep level it made sense of of the choices that he made Mm -hmm. right or wrong and as he started to progress through programming, um, he, I was his mentor. It's just weird dynamic yeah, stuff there. Good. He, uh, it became a really special relationship where we saw change on a lot of different levels. I saw change in myself. I saw change in his peers. I saw change in the people that I worked with. Um, and I just got to know, I got to know him a lot more because we spent a lot of time together over holidays and he just couldn't go home. Um, so we did mm. some pretty special things for this kid cause he, he was this pretty special kid for the place. Mm-hmm. And it, it was just wild. I remember him, we, we made him like a, a Christmas dinner one time and, you know, he got he to gotta leave campus for a while with us and go do some fun stuff. And I remember him just thanking me like, this is the best Christmas I've ever had. Mm. Like, <laughs> it broke my heart. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like it, it just, with every progression of, you know, this relationship, I was reaffirmed that, my original belief system and how I saw certain things was going to be a barrier to working with anyone if I wanted to be anything in in a change capacity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't thinking about being a therapist then. Yeah. <laughs> I probably didn't even know what that was technically. Yeah. Um, but if I wanted to be a leader and help create change, I, I'd have to look at how I saw the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when I hear powerful stories like that, I get an impulse to um, mm-hmm. deconstruct them and be like, all right, here's what I'm hearing. You know, here's this and this and this and this. Yeah. Um, but also, I, 
I've learned from other people, from the people that I've done that to, that sometimes sometimes a story stands alone and it's almost like disrespectful to, to pull it apart. So I don't I, I don't think I want to to highlight what I'm hearing in that story. Um, it seems like it was a really really important relationship for you, mm. hopefully for him as well. Yeah. Um, the only thing I'll say about it is it seems like a relation an encounter in relationship called you out of yourself into something different. No, I, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'd be all for deconstructing it, just not on the podcast. No, no, no not deconstructing <laughs> you. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> the story. The experience. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, um, but I, I, have this, I have a similar sort of pivot experience, if we want to call it that. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking about this in the context of, of myself being a young person who for um, a really long time imagined being a grown-up yeah all kids do that my version of it was super serious though <laughs> I shock shock <laughs> yeah uh, yeah surprise surprise right um, I think the first time I remember contemplating eternity, I was in third grade staring at my bedroom wall, uh, trying to wrap my mind around the lack of time and time existing in the same experience, and I couldn't do it, and I got scared. Eight years old, huh? Well, third grade, however old you are in that. Eight or nine. Yeah. Anyway, that's not what I was going to tell you. No. <laughs> um, but I thought about these big things yeah. early. Um and so I'm, I want to tell this story in the context that I had a vision of being a man um, from a really early age. Um, being, like being a father was really important to me. Being a husband, really important to me. Um, being a professional, somebody who worked. Like I just thought about these things so much. Um, and I don't even need to compare myself to other people who think about them. All I'm saying is for me, it was really serious and I built up an image of what it would be. Mm-hmm. And I did everything that I thought I needed to do um, to be happy as a, as a man. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I keep bringing this up and we keep circling around it and we'll probably have to do an episode or two on this. But all of it was in the context of the Catholic faith. Yeah. All of it, you know, um, because that's the family I grew up in. And you know, for those of you who aren't, who aren't familiar, uh, like many faith systems, the Catholic faith has a really um, well uh, outlined way of being a, a man, let's put it that way, and a father. And there are certain things you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Self-sacrifice, um, working hard for the good of your family, uh, have having kids and providing and protecting and you know lots of different things um and as to the best of my ability i followed that to a t even before um even before i was uh i was in high school and i was i was like preparing for my future children (laughs) that's how serious i was about this thing you you Um, were in heaven's fallacy huh what's that i've never heard of that it's uh, it's a thing from CBT therapy. Oh, yeah. Okay, heavens not a huge fan. It's just thinking air distortion. Mm-mm. It's a labeled one. If you do everything right, you'll be rewarded. 
do everything to, a, to the way it's supposed to be done, you'll be rewarded. Whoa. Yeah. That's a CBT thing? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's existential. That's like... That's like an encounter of that not occurring is is a is that's when deconstruction happens. Yeah. When your worldview fails you mm-hmm. and you're left on the other side of it looking at it saying, Hey, you lied. Yeah. This isn't real. Yeah. <laughs> like, it didn't work. Man. <laughs> oh. I'm using that. Yeah. I don't have to think about that a long yeah, there time. Was a, a, I'll give a shout out to my friend Michelle Caldwell, also old old time colleague. Mm-hmm. This is what we used to teach uh, hmm. use in the community all the time. There was a list of thirteen of them. Heaven's fallacies was one of them. No, it was oh. it was one of the oh. thinking errors, distortions, whatever you want yeah, to call yeah. it. But that was that was a big one. Heaven's fallacy. Wow. So if I do everything right, everything's going to turn out okay. Yep. Oh man. That's so then we deconstruct their behavior powerful. cycle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that that think about that for a second, and think about the promise of, of most ways of living. What's the promise of most ways of living? Here's how to do things, and yep. if you do things this way, everything's going to be okay. Yeah, um, you live a good life. I mean, that's a little. I mean, that's what we're doing in the podcast, though. Even like it's. I'm not going to go too far into the weeds on this, I think, but it, it, we encounter issues of like hope and, and, uh, yeah, like hope for the future and, and, um, and it does what we do is what we're doing meaningful. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I've never heard of that. The heaven's fallacy. I cannot believe it's it's a CBT thing. That feels like it needs to be a book. Friday, April 9th. <laughs> Score one for Marshall. Score one. This is not a competition, Marshall. <laughs> this is not a competition. I just want to remember this. The first the first time I got you. No, you got me with uh, you're writing your emails to your daughters, too. Oh, yeah. I had the oh, same yeah. thing. I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. Mind blown. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The heavens fallacy. Hmm. Well, so, okay, well, here's my experience of that then. Yeah. I, I, I love that word and I love that under that concept. Um, here's my experience of that. I did that. I did mm-hmm. what was prescribed. I did everything right as far as I could. And then, so I got my master's, had two kids, got my doctorate um, four months before my second was born. Or started my doctorate four months before my second was born, um, and by that, the next spring, so my second was born in December. I started the doctorate uh, a few months before in September. By that April, I was living with my two children in the basement of my parents' house where mm-hmm. I grew up. <laughs> yeah. Everything fell apart. Yeah, so you did everything right. Married, had kids. Yeah. Yeah. Extended education. Ambitious, working full yeah. time. I was, supposed to be your purpose. I was, I was, um, for a summer, I was working as a therapist in a day treatment center, which means I was working with kids every single day who had really serious mental health needs. Mm-hmm. Monday through Friday, that's what I was doing. And I was selling hummus at a farmer's market for our landlord Saturday and Sunday. I've heard the first part of this. I've never heard that part. Yep. (laughs) 
you better believe it was the Minneapolis farmers market. There were several times when I was holding ugh, I had plastic gloves on, handing out chips so people could taste hummus. Yeah. And I have clients and their families mm. walking the farmers market, and I was like, I always wore a hat. Yeah. Or I ducked down. I was embarrassed. Yeah, this is a guy telling us how to change our lives, and he's, and he's selling us hummus, giving too. us chips. Yeah, they probably would have been okay. It was me. Yeah, you know, I couldn't handle it. Um, I couldn't handle that that my own cognitive dissonance there. But anyway, so that that time living in at my parents' house was a turning point for me. It was a reevaluation time for me, and my marriage was not in a good spot at all. Um, because of uh, believing heaven's fallacy for too long. I'm yeah. so happy I have a term for that now. And uh, um, there's one morning I was heading off to work, and my wife and I got in a little spat. And um, after after that, I, I was I lived about an hour away from where I was working because I still worked in Minneapolis, even though I lived out in a farming community. Now it's about an hour drive. And I was driving and I was driving and I was so upset because I didn't understand what just happened. Yeah. You know, like, why did we do that? Mm -hmm. Why did I do that? Why did I choose to go down road B instead of road A, you know? Mm -hmm. And I couldn't answer it. I couldn't, I couldn't answer it. So I called in sick. I called the office. I said, hey, I'm sorry, I'm not feeling well. And I drove to Red Wing, Minnesota. Um which is a beautiful town on the Mississippi River, I think. Mississippi or St. Croix. Oh, man, all our Minnesota listeners are going to just chew that, me apart. But that's I'm our second sure. biggest U.S. demographic. Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Shout out Minnesota. Yeah. I miss it. I miss Minnesota. Um, I'm pretty sure it's on the Mississippi, though. Beautiful river town. Yeah. Um, Similar to probably Northeast Iowa for uh, for the Iowans out there. Maybe, uh, where's Loris College? Where's that? Uh, Dubuque. Dubuque. Yeah, it's kind of right? similar to that. Kind of like hilly I bluffs and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, anyway, there is a, a, a big bluff in the middle of Red Wing. Yeah. Um, it's not a mountain, but... It, it, not by any means. I mean, it's Minnesota. Um, but it takes a lot of climbing. <laughs> so I drove to Red Wing, Minnesota. It's like two and a half hour drive, something like that. I didn't tell anybody where I was. And I was like, I don't know where I'm doing this, but I'm going to Red Wing. And I was just like, I was crying. And I was thinking. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's happening. I don't understand. And I was just in this weird, weird spot. And I drove to Red Wing and I saw this. It, it, it's like a pretty prominent bluff in the middle of the town, right? You can see it everywhere. I'm like, I'm climbing that. I'm going to climb that. <laughs> so I found I found where to park at the base of this like bluff, you know? Yeah. And uh, I had a... Uh, I, had a I, dr- I was dressed really nice. I had a nice blazer on, <laughs> dress shirt, dress shoes. <laughs> nice pair of chinos. Uh, my hair, my hair. I was going to work for the day, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, and uh, I didn't even think of that. I was looking yeah. professional. <laughs> this makes it even better. And I was like, I'm climbing that, and so uh, I parked at the base, and there was this path going up, and so it was kind of it was a really steep hill, but it was a windy path, um, 
and so I wound it up a little. I wound up it a little bit, but then there was also like just just the grass. You know, mm-hmm. it was really steep, but you could walk straight up all the way to the top rather yeah. than going the oh, the windy path, the switchbacks or whatever. I was just in this crazy place. I'm like, I'm climbing straight up. <laughs> so here I am in my gray blazer and dress pants and dress <laughs> shoes, like scaling kind of a wall. Like yeah. it was grass. It wasn't, I wasn't rock climbing, but at a certain point, like I looked down and the incline and was steep. I was like, if I slip, that phone call back to my wife is going to be terrible because I'm falling a really long way. Not only that, she, did she still think you were at work? Oh Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Honey, I slipped in the in my Cole Han. So. Like, Not only that, hey, remember I'm, that fight we had? I'm in Red Wing <laughs> at the bottom of this giant hill. <laughs> I think my bone's sticking out of my leg. <laughs> and I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, so I'm climbing up this hill just like sweating profusely going crazy like this is a little bit of a moses story like what is going on in my life climb 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 i make it to the top and i just sat and it was a gorgeous view the river was there and big um like big valleys and rolling hills and all this stuff it was gorgeous and i sat there for a really really long time and i just thought and i'm not good at that i'm not good at just like pausing you know but i i it was such a pivotal moment for me because I something had just happened in, in my life and I didn't understand why. It was, just, it was this fight, but it was like this culmination of that I was doing everything right, get a doctor, blah, 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 yeah. and here I am at a mountaintop or a hilltop in Red Wing, like sweating my... Contemplating life. Just like sweating like crazy in my work clothes, having called in. Um, and... Uh, I had a lot of good thoughts, a lot of hard thoughts, and then I walked down. I didn't walk down the steep part, and I didn't see anyone until almost the bottom, and I was walking down, <laughs> dress shirt, all the stuff, with my blazer slung over one of my shoulders because I was hot, and my shirt was covered in sweat. <laughs> it was the summer. It's absolutely drenched, and these other people started hiking, were hiking up towards me, and I was like, Hi. I'm like, who's this crazy man? <laughs> I had so much going, to talk about after they passed you. Going, yeah, they're like, Ooh, I hope he's okay. <laughs> Hopefully he keeps walking. Um, but, you know, I finished, went to a really cool little bar in town, had a beer quick, journaled a little bit, and then started driving back, called my wife. I was like, hey, can we meet? You know, we talked a long time. Um, but shortly after that, I, I was like, this is still a problem. I don't know why I'm thinking and feeling and doing these things. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And it's not going well. Like that climb up the mountain didn't really fix anything. You know, yeah. I was able to open up and give my wife a lot of insight into what was happening for me, but it didn't change anything. And so I started this journaling practice. Have, have I talked to you about this before? Um, I had, I had one, um, that be, this became like my singular thing. I gotta figure out why I'm doing and feeling and saying the things that I'm doing because it's gone. I I don't understand. It's like I I will say a thing I'll I say a thing I'll do a thing I do a thing and I don't know why, but yeah. I don't like it, you know. And so every night for a year, um, every weeknight I took the weekends off. 
every weeknight, no matter what happened, no matter how late I got home, I would sit down at this little desk in my family's music room with the piano. Um, and I'd open my journal and I'd choose one thing that I thought, said, or did that day that I didn't understand and I would tell the story. So I would, I would, I would write, you know, here's what I'm thinking about today. Here's what I want to talk about. And then I would just write the story of that thing. What was I thinking? What was I feeling? What does this connect to in my past? What does this connect to in my story? How does this relate to my values? What other experiences are, are related to this? And um, it was just like, it was really hard. It was really hard, you know. Because if I have, let's say I have like five levels of depth in me and awareness in me, I was probably accessing only two until that time. And it was like I had to break through barrier, 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 yeah. barrier. And um, yeah, I spent almost a year every weeknight just writing like this, writing like this, writing like this. And um, I was like, I was determined to understand myself. I was determined to like turn the lights on in that dark space. Um and uh, that experience, um, that journaling experience, it ended right as I was moving out of my parents' house. We bought a house nearby. And at that time as well, um, I also finally agreed to meet my birth dad. Mm-hmm. It's a huge story in itself. Um, but essentially my mom and my birth dad uh, we're in a summer camp together. She got pregnant. Long story short, it didn't work out. He's from New York City, Puerto Rican from New York City. She's from a small town, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Just never met him, never talked to him. But we, I'll, I'll save this story for another episode. I actually talked to him about coming on the podcast and he's down. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because he has a crazy story. He grew up in the South Bronx. So you're saying we're going to New York? Business trip? Don't hold me to it, but that would be awesome. Um, But uh, anyway, it was about a... He first contacted me on Facebook when I was 20 years old. And I didn't reach out to him probably until my daughter was born. So I was 24, so four years. Mm. Um, And every time... He's a teacher. And on every break in the school year, he would... um, say like you just send me a message on facebook hey i'm free if you want me to visit no pressure i never said yes but this year of journaling 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 trying to understand i realized i couldn't there were so many things i couldn't not i I had to address and this was one of them so this journal was you know how i carry those big moleskin journals around yeah yeah i had one page left and between my last journal entry and that last page, I agreed to see him in June. I agreed for him to come. And I haven't ever written that last page in that journal. I couldn't. I couldn't write that last page. Um, and I told him that when he came that June. I was like, I told him this whole story. And it was like that. I don't. I was just looking for that journal, actually, because I, I want to read it again. Um, I don't know. That last page seems like it's a whole other book and yeah. I can't I can't write it you know um, but that year I started just understanding the landscape of my inner world understanding 
how much I had bought into Heaven's Fallacy. I know that I have a word for that. And I just, I, I was done being scared of what was in the past and what was in the way. Um, yeah. And it started a whirlwind. It started a whirlwind. My dad came in June. We moved out of my parents' house in April. My dad came in June. In December, I went out to New York and met my entire Puerto Rican family for the first time. My grandma Gigi, my uncle Ray, my uncle George, um, my aunt Samo, she couldn't make it because she didn't live in the city. Friends and, and all this stuff. And I realized, Marshall, that I had a life in New York with that family that I didn't even know about. I just assumed that they had forgotten me. Yeah. They didn't. They remember me every year at Christmas and Thanksgiving. Every year they'd, they'd mention me and hope that I would come to them someday. You, can you imagine what that's like, realizing that there's this whole family on the other side of the country that loves you and you have no idea that they exist? No. <laughs> it's crazy. I can't. It was crazy. And so we're, you know, we're talking about identity right now. I had, I had to get to that point where that story started coming full circle. It's yeah. a massive blank spot. Um, I remember when I came back from New York, uh, I had just met all my, almost all my family. I met these people that my dad had worked with. I met my stepmom for the first time. She was with my dad until uh, the, the year after I was born. I was born in 88. They got together in 89. I met my sister for the first time. Never met her before. She was born on 9 11, 2001 in New York City. Oh my God. Yeah, I never met her before. <clears throat> um, my grandma, like I said, I met people that they worked with that knew I existed for decades. And like, uh, they came to this party and they're like, Yeah, we know you, you're Anthony. But I'm like, How do you know me? <laughs> it's the craziest experience. But I remember coming back, came back on New Year's Eve. It was cheaper. Um, I remember on New Year's Day, sitting on the stairs of our house in Waconia, Minnesota, and looking at Maria on the couch, my wife. She's like, everything is different now. Mm. It was so crazy. It's like everything changed. Um, and I didn't know how it would change, but I knew, like, oh, a door just opened up. It yeah. was it was wild. It was absolutely wild. Um, and I really think like the that whatever year and a half, about roughly a year and a half, a little over a year and a half, that that launched me into you know this podcast is becoming man, that launched me into the process of becoming um, the man that I am today and the man that I was able to solidify the dream of the man that I want to be over that year and a half. Mm. That's when it started. One dream died and another one was born that felt so much more real. Um, and it was a man that didn't live like what I just read in that journal and didn't live ignorant, sad, angry, you know, a man that wouldn't require everybody else to, uh, um, participate in a delusion in order for me to feel good. Yeah. Anyway. Whoa. <laughs> Probably haven't heard any of that before, have you? Uh, oh, you read it in that book. I, I, I did yeah. read your, your chapter in yeah. uh, 
Shout out to We the Interwoven. There we go. Published by the Iowa Writers House. I was fortunate enough to be featured in their second volume, the story of me and my dad. It's an anthology of um, bicultural Iowans. So being Puerto Rican American, I was able amazing to stories. Yeah, amazing stories. Yeah. There, there's so many good ones in there. No, I mean I I had read that before, and I yeah. heard you speak to this to a certain extent. Yeah. But I'm happy you kept speaking. I was tearing up here for a second. It mm-hmm. was it was real close, mm-hmm. and I usually I'm pretty good with my emotions <laughs> and showing them. But there was a part of me that didn't really want to cry on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, uh, that's such a powerful story. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you were telling it, I one I didn't know that's where it was going. But I just kept having this thought of like. What's the old adage? It takes, what, 10,000 hours to become a master or something? Yeah, something like yeah. that, yeah. yeah. And here you are every every night basically for a year, like, battling your your meaning of why, um, yeah. your own demons, yeah. doing your own work. Um, like like you said, you're breaking past barrier or level two of five, mm-hmm. whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it felt like level two of 100. <laughs> yeah. 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 And at the end, there's this transformative shift, mm-hmm. this unburdening of, you know, who you were. Mm-hmm. I would it's say it was the, be- the beginning of, of transformation. Okay. I, I sometimes like to talk about it as like, I finally landed on the map that I knew I would grow in. Yeah. If that makes sense. Or I finally no, for sure. I thought of that coming to Iowa felt like that too, like getting, becoming a professor and, and starting to teach and owning my own business now and stuff like that. It's like, this isn't the arrival. This is this is the the map that I want to journey through. No, I mean, I, I made reference to this in our first episode where I, I said something along the lines of, like, I feel like my origin story is still happening. And that's what I meant by that. Mm-hmm. Like, there's this, the story that I gave was really the first eye-opening piece of, hey, this this isn't mine necessarily. I need mm-hmm. to I need to change. Mm-hmm. And it's been a change process ever since, and that's what I hear you saying as well. Like yeah. it's not, it's not an end game right now. No, no, I don't know it's if it, it ever process. is. I don't know. I feel like I, I've, um, I think of the end game as like, if again, if I'm if I'm playing in the arena that means something to me, that's what matters. Or yeah. if I'm journeying on the path that, that is, if I if I feel so confident that this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Not that I'm arriving, but that I'm exploring the right territory. Yeah. You know? Thanks for sharing that story. Yeah. That was... I still feel it right now. <laughs> it's heavy. I mean, you can't, talk, can't talk about... You can't talk about who we are without our, without our story. Yeah. You know? And that, that year and a half was... Um, you know, I was in the midst of my doctorate studies too and I had already caught fire on some level for this topic of masculinity and stuff like that um but that year and a half just like I I went I went wild I did not take it easy yeah I went wild with trying to understand this stuff you know um I'm almost uh I can't think of the right word it's not desperate I have this urgency to understand this, this like, and it feels like it never is, 
satisfied ever. Yeah. You know, but that experience just like exploded the urgency. Yeah. Burning desire. Totally. Totally. Urgency to understand and to be able to tell the story. Um, yeah. I think, I think, and I'm passionate about that. And that's what I love about doing therapy is, you know, if I'm sitting with somebody and they finally understand something, you know? Yeah. And then they tell me, yeah, it's like a witness, you know. Well, it's it is a witness. witnessing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. Which is another topic I'd love to spend a whole episode on the topic of witness. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not gonna go there. Just I, I probably to um, wind things down for the evening. Um, I this doing this podcast. Um, is very convicting for me, mm. um, and what I mean by that is it's it's causing me to again do a lot of self reflection, you know, uh, again teaching, doing therapy, supervising new therapists, all this stuff. I'm always like giving or like trying to help people acquire knowledge and and skill and competency. Yeah, and there's not you know good therapists, good 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 educators, good supervisors reflect. Yeah. If we don't reflect, um, it's we. Ha, how about this buzzword? If we don't reflect, we project. <laughs> Ooh, copyright. If we don't reflect, we project. Uh, <laughs> that's a good so one, you wasn't just it? Copyright yourself on yeah. the podcast. Yeah, that is a good one. That's a pretty good one. If we don't reflect, we project. Anyway, I'm a little embarrassed. Right now. <laughs> hey, you woo. Woo. Oh, God. <laughs> I said once, one a month, man. Um, anyway, uh, sometimes in in, in in just doing life, I don't reflect. Yeah. But doing this podcast, I have to reflect because we have to plan the episodes and we have to talk and tell stories. Yeah. Um, and so I have been reflecting a lot thinking about what am I saying to people that they're listening to and, and taking in and, and making their own and am I living that out yeah. um, and are you an authentic example yeah Marshall that's hard <laughs> it is hard to be an authentic example of what we're talking about mm-hmm. um, I believe it so deeply Yeah. Um, but I also have all of the things that make we're also humans yeah, that make people not want to live this out. Yeah. Right? Um, go ahead. Well, I, I just had this thought, actually. I was, you know, <clears throat> finishing a training this morning, actually. And it's not the first time I've heard this, but it's, it's the first time I've heard it in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a therapist by the name of Dick Schwartz, creator of IFS. Internal Family yep. Systems. Um, it's a modality I, I, I really love. He's talking about tormentation and tormentors and how mm-hmm. tormentors are actually some of the best mentorship you can get because mm-hmm. they force you like, like your journal, mm-hmm. right? Go through the depths of your own hell mm-hmm. to find an answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've often, um, when I've thought about, you know, that, that year, year and a half, I ended up going to therapy for the first time ever in my life. Um, I got a spiritual advisor not the first time in my life, but another shot, you know, 
um, I just reevaluated everything, started having conversations, all of these, all of these different things. Excuse me, and um, it was really, really hard. It was really hard. They, those those years, there was probably a span of about two and a half, three years that were terrible. Um, but I felt so alive and I felt so good at the same time. You know, I was finally plugged into my life. Um, but it's not easy. And I think yeah, the calculation for a lot of us is, is it worth it to push through that pain in order to come out on the quote-unquote other side? I don't know if there is another side. Um, but in order to come out of that initial burst of growing pains and encountering your past and those things, um, uh, you have, we have, this is the title of Tell Me Why It's Worth It. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about that a lot, I guess, recently. But the way that I often described it to people as it was happening is, I am being compelled instead of to continue running to turn and face the storm that's chasing me, you know. Um, and I, and once you make that decision, I don't know if you can go back. I really don't. No, you can't. You remember in the Matrix? Yeah. You just it, stole it. You just the, stole it. Sorry. You stole it. Let's let's do it together. <laughs> where the guy's eating the steak and he knows it's not a steak and he's gonna get a pill so that he yes. forgets. We can't actually do that in real life, I don't think, unless no. we get terribly unhealthy. No, once you're unplugged, you can't you can't go back to being plugged. So or you try to plug in and you and you and you go to war on yourself. Yeah. That's where you get addiction, abuse, cycles, yeah. trauma, bad things happen. Yeah. Um anyway, why did I start telling you that, Marshall? I don't know. Probably because I said you had to face your own hell. Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. That um, it, once I started, I couldn't stop. Yeah, because you can't go. You can't go back into that into that place of um, of being shut down. Uh, and I'm and I'm grateful, very grateful. Um, and sometimes I'm really upset that I started. Yeah, because in a way, life was a lot simpler. Sure. Um, and when people come to therapy, when people come to, you could probably speak to this, when people come to get an education in family therapy or another type of therapy, um, the, you face a choice. For sure. To encounter that, to like dive in and, and, and learn things and move through things that you hadn't before or not, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I will say, um, I don't know how to articulate this cleanly, but there is, even in those depths of, of pain and suffering that you're talking about, mm -hmm. there's a lot of life in there. You know what I mean? It's so vibrant. Exactly. It's so vibrant. I never felt, that's just, well, this is a little hubris. I was just about to say I never felt so alive. But it's But, but it's I think there's real to truth it. to what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a different type. It's not... Yeah. Um, it's not hazy or, or dulled or, um, well, it's so vibrant yeah. in its darkness and in its brightness. Um, I learned, uh, I learned through these experiences how much I could go through and still be okay. Yeah. You know, a lot of times people talk about that in the fitness world, you know, doing something <laughs> crazy like a marathon or I just saw today that somebody, 
uh, set the world record for burpees in an hour and averaged like 15 burpees a minute or something like that. Like that's bananas. Uh, and then <laughs> it's gross. never want to do that. Yeah. But learning that you can um, that you can do that and still be okay is so vital. Um, one last piece, and then yeah, just I want to talk about the difference between clean pain and dirty pain for a mm. second. Um, clean pain. This is this is from uh, a, a therapy working with therapy, but clean pain is a, the pain of growth. It's pain with meaning. It's pain with purpose. Yeah. Um, I talk about it a lot with couples. You know, when when I'm doing couples therapy, and they have to talk about the issues they don't want to talk about talk about the hurts that they don't want to talk about those things I, I talk I, we talk about clean pain and dirty pain is this the pain of growth yeah that's clean pain dirty pain is meaningless purposeless directionless pain yeah um, this this would be this <laughs> to use the door in the wall example this would be somebody banging their head against the wall and me standing right next to them with an open door saying yeah. Here's the door, buddy. Come on. You know, um, dirty pain is meaningless, directionless, um, purposeless. And what we're talking about is clean pain. Yeah. It's the pain of growth. Um, maybe you could think, talk about exercise as clean pain too. Um, and, and maybe uh, addiction is dirty pain or something like that. Mm, yeah. I think there's a big argument for that. It's probably a whole episode in itself, but I wanted to read you something real fast. Yeah. That, that always stuck with me and I just didn't want to misquote it cause it is important. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm always talking about dead mentors. It seems like in each episode right now, <laughs> and this is probably my favorite dead mentor and Carl Whitaker, but it's a quote that always stuck with me. Famous family therapist. Until you break with your patterns, the rut continues to deepen. Life goes on, but living dies. Oh, holy smokes. And that's what I'm talking, you're talking about the vibrancy mm-hmm. of, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to get a new tattoo soon. Mm-hmm. Right? And part of that for me, it's a, it's a Lord of the Rings tattoo, but part of that is, you know, meet, meeting your own Belrog, mm-hmm. right? Facing your own demons. Who's Belrog? You remember, uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, mm-hmm. First Lord. Lord I know, I know who Belrog is. Uh, what about for those uh, non Lord of the Rings? He's a, he's a, he's a giant demon. Yeah. Yeah. He's a giant demon that a wizard has to face. Yeah. 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 That he's scared of. Yeah. Yeah. To but, lead people to a, a mm-hmm. place of uh, growth. Mm hmm. Technically. Through the minds yeah. of Moria. Yeah. Yeah. But that quote, I mean, that's, that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Life goes on, but mm-hmm. living dies. Mm hmm. That, this is a perfect. Well, there's two pieces. When I was doing that journaling mm-hmm. and going through that process before I could talk to any living human, I read. I read poetry. I read philosophy. I read novels because the characters and the thinkers in those stories gave me a new language to understand yeah. and to, to articulate my words. So I love that you brought up something from literature. Um, my only My tattoos are all influenced by literature because I feel uh, I felt that safety you know yeah. uh, even bef- before talking to real people you know yeah anyway um, 
there's that. And then, no, I lost the other thing you were talking about. Oh, Marshall. I was going to bring it home, and you your quote impacted me. Read the Whitaker thing again, please. Can you read the Whitaker yeah. thing again? The, he goes, until you break with your patterns, the rut continues to deepen. Life goes on, but living dies. That, yes, thank you. My journal, the thing that I pulled from my journal about this podcast at the beginning, I think I was connecting to what I've... Uh, what I've observed in myself and other people that I believe continue to deepen the rut Mm. and their living slowly dies. Yeah. Other men. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Welcome to the Coming Man podcast. Mm. (laughs) And this is that project. Yeah, um, I don't know. You know, in, in therapy, sometimes the impulse is to like make everything make sense and, and uh, tie no. tie a nice bow a nice bow around it. You know, I'd rather leave you in knots. Sometimes we have to leave it open. Yeah, and I think uh, we're gonna leave it open. So, um, we can talk about authentic experiencing for the two. Of us. There you go. So, uh, thanks everyone for listening. Yeah. As always, we appreciate it. Thanks again, Robert, for the music. Super dope. Yeah, we love it. All three of them were awesome. It's wonderful. Um, and please rate, review, subscribe, all of the things. And just in case we're ambitious enough, we may also have an outro that asks you to do the same thing. So stay tuned for those same questions or request with music.